0: This is the Merienda Stories podcast.
1: We aim to offer a virtual table for people all over the world to share their stories. Because we believe that exchanging life experiences is one of the best ways to learn, grow, and enrich life.
0: We are just real people having real conversations about real life.
1: Over a nice merienda, why not? My name is Ana.
0: And I am Jesús. And And we we are are your hosts hosts at Merienda Merienda Stories. Stories.
2: Hello.
1: Hello. So today, we have our guest, Raina, and somebody else. Karma. 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 Her full Hello, name is Karma. Karma.
2: Her full name is Karma Mold.
0: Because, Karma Mold, uh, okay.
2: Yeah, because her the charity that we adopt her from, the guy's last name is Mold. Um, ah. So, when we go to the vet, the first time we went to the vet, um they said, uh, look, Karma Mold, the owner of Karma Mold. And I said, that's so appropriate because when we got her, she looked so moldy and gross. <laughs> I
0: was like,
2: that's, that's her name. So, we called her Karma Mold. <laughs>
1: nice. Hello,
0: Karma Molds.
1: So, we a invited Raina to today because as, if you guys recall, we had a Merienda Stories Christmas challenge. And one of the challenges was to share with us something that you are very passionate about or something that you truly believe in. And Raina actually mm-hmm. submitted two. So um, so we're super yeah thankful that she participated in that. And we wanted to hear a little bit more about the two advocacies that she shared about because um, they're very, very interesting. They're quite different, but um, there's mm-hmm. two that she is passionate about so we wanted to hear a little bit about it so maybe right we can start with that so tell us about the advocacies that you believe in and why you feel strongly about those causes and how you support these causes
2: uh because it was Christmas and it was a Christmas challenge I remember that a lot of mm. people um gift pets to their family members mm. so that's a big thing all around the world of that and a lot of people actually get a dog without thinking mm. about the future needs of the dog. And so a lot of dogs, particularly Staffies, which Karma is, she's an American Staffy, They're the most uh, popular breed in shelters at the moment and in rescues. Mm. So there are a lot of dogs that need homes. So, and we've had experience uh, fostering Karma. So we're her foster parents. We haven't adopted her. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, so it'd be great if people, I guess, just raising awareness on the fact that there are heaps of dogs that need homes, and it's actually a really great experience to be involved in dog rescue, whether you foster or you adopt. So there are two pathways yeah. you can kind of do.
1: Yeah. And so the the situation is that people um, buy pets as, I mean, buy dogs as pets, and eventually they kind of stop wanting to take care of them and give them up to a shelter? Is that how it goes?
2: Yeah. My understanding is there's like different cases. Some of them are that. Uh, they buy mm-hmm. the they buy a dog and then they don't realize particularly, like they don't research the breed. Yeah. So certain breeds, like um, we have, we have, we know some people who might have, um, what do you call border collies let's say mm-hmm. they need a lot of space to run around they need a certain lifestyle like you have to have a certain lifestyle to take care of them mm-hmm. luckily as you can see karma just sleeps <laughs> <all this stuff. laughs> so she matches my lifestyle to be honest <laughs> um, but that's one then the other one is there are dogs used for breeding so a lot of breeders buy expensive dogs but don't take care of them because they're just used for breeding not for any other purpose um, so a lot of and they in breed them illegally so usually if you're a dog breeder you need to be registered with um you know a, i'm not sure what but some sort of organization to say you take care of your dog so they monitor the standards but a lot of people don't so we believe that karma was actually a breeding dog mm-hmm. um, illegally uh, we call backyard breeding so they just kind of buy a (laughs) lot of dogs and then breed them over and over and over so Mm -hmm. yeah if you want to know about i can tell you a bit of her hist about her history Mm -hmm. if you like yeah yeah um so she was found by a charity called um new life for animals i saw her we have a page a website called petrescue.com. and i've just been wanting a dog for so long just I don't know, COVID. Oh, that's another reason that a lot of people um, surrender dogs because they bought them or mm-hmm. got them during COVID and then now they have to go back to work. So that's a big mm-hmm. issue.
0: Um
2: uh... mm, so it's really unfortunate. I think it's a really good idea to like foster first so you know yeah. if that's the dog for you. Cause usually if you like if we because we're fostering her, if we decide to adopt her, we have priority. It's very competitive to adopt mm-hmm. a dog. Um, so yeah definitely foster as a first step
0: Mm -hmm. and when you foster them and and for example they have to go through surgeries and stuff you have to pay for them right
2: no the charity pays for everything that's
0: Ah, yeah
2: so ideally most most charities like bigger charities like like uh we have one here that's like the lost dog's home or whatever they will pay for like all the food all the basically everything for the dog like bed okay. visit everything like that because you're the foster care but yeah that's our issue for her too once we adopt her if she has another if she needs another surgery that will be our cost and no one's going to insure this dog like insurance yeah. uh, pet yeah. insurance forget it
1: oh. Oh, so yeah. the
2: charity has done a good job, like, raising funds for her, but it is really hard for them because they're a small um, organization. Yeah.
0: Do we have any merienda?
1: Oh, yeah. And let's take a merienda.
0: Yes, a merienda.
2: I do have merienda. It's, I uh, want to eat,
0: but I want to present it before. So what <laughs> oh, do you yeah. have, Raina? What do you have?
2: I have an Australian classic. Oh. Tim Tams.
0: Oh jam. my God! I have
2: you had that? a tin yeah. jam before? Okay, yeah. no. it's a it's so a chocolate wow. covered cookie that Australians are known for. So it's little, oh. and I got the Murray River salted caramel flavor. You usually eat this with tea, and Australians have a thing. No, Karma, not for you. Um, they usually oh, have a caramelitas
1: called... merienda
2: also. <laughs> I know. I'll okay. give her one later. She's had her dinner. <laughs> um we have what we call a Tim Tam Slam where you bite one corner and then the other end and then you use it as a straw for your tea. Oh really? What?
1: Yeah. So it because it, it's a little bit hollow inside. It's like it's, um
2: it's a biscuit, so it's like yeah. gets soggy inside, and then you can drink your tea from it. <laughs> not bad, there you go. Not Tim bad. Tam, Tam Slam. There you go.
1: So what do you guys have? Raina, the fun Anna. fact, you know, my, my parents used to have a bar and it was called Tim Tam. Yeah. No
0: way. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Was it named after Tim Tams? Yeah, I think so. Really? So, yeah,
1: yeah. Or, or I'm oh, not wow. sure. We'll need, to, That's a really- we'll need to invite them for an episode and ask mm-hmm. them about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, How about you, Jesus? Anna.
0: No, ladies first. Oh,
1: okay. So we're having breakfast. It's 10 a.m. now. We have quite a time difference. Um, Raina is in Melbourne, so it's in the evening mm-hmm. for her. But mm-hmm. I'm having breakfast, so it's a croissant with guava jam from the Philippines.
0: Mm, I love it. It's so uh, good. It's super good. So good. And
1: mm-hmm. tea. Is it sour? Is it sour? It's more sweet, the guava jam, I think. Okay. But not as sweet as other jams. That's why I that's why I like
0: ah, it. it. So I have a green tea and I make a combined plate with some pineapple and some um, apple cakes, of course, because I like to put a lot, also a bar of dark chocolate, this is from Spain, normally used for desserts, but I like it a lot like that. So that's that's my breath. Where did the apple cookies
1: apple, no, hmm? apple cookies, right? Where, where apple cookies.
0: From? This came from when we were in uh Strasbourg. Yeah.
1: So, so Ryan, so you talked about another um advocacy that you believe in, so um supporting refugee children. And I yeah. think maybe we can talk a little bit about that and i think it's i don't know my guess is that it's somehow also a little bit related Mm -hmm. to what you do for a living or your profession so maybe you can talk a little bit about that and why you support that cause and what the connection is to what you do on a daily basis
2: yeah uh definitely that would be it's it is really related to the work that i do so um i'm an occupational therapist so that's my background i've been working as an occupational therapist for 10, 11 years now. It's been a while. (laughs) I feel old. Um, But I started off like doing work in the Philippines in the private practice. So basically, I work most occupational therapists in the Philippines, we work with children with disabilities. Mm
0: -hmm. And we
2: support them to um, engage independently in their most meaningful activities. So the term, we always, every time an, o, an OT talks about our job, we always say occupation sounds really like like a job, you know, like, oh, you help someone go back to work or something like that. It did used to be like that, but it's kind of evolved to helping people live an ordinary, meaningful life. So everything you do, like eating merienda, you know, that's part of your occupation, occupation yeah. because that's meaningful for you, you know, especially for our cultures. Um, so. For kids, uh, their main occupation is to play, um, engage in self-care activities, and also um, attend school or participate in some sort of learning. So, as an OT, that was my goal. It was like to identify what, how the disability affects that child's engagement in activity. So, we always work with like speech therapists and physiotherapists, and it really came out of like the thought that even if you can, let's say, you know, let's say you break your, let's, let's use Jesus' um, ACL injury as an example, like, even if you repair that joint, and it's fixed, you know, it, it still is different whether you can go back to playing football, if that's something that's really important for you. So the rehab that you need to be effective and go back to that meaningful activity is different to mm. just doing exercises. So it's kind of like that. So um so that's kind of where i started uh and i um i guess one thing about disability that i always like to talk about is it's not always uh it's not always about the person's skills you know because they always say disability is an individual thing like i have a you know i'm not able to walk because i have cerebral palsy or I can't socialize because I have autism, let's say, but actually a lot of the theories around disability now we're identifying it's more environmental, social, political. Um, So it's not just uh, because you have a diagnosed disability. There are a lot of Mm -hmm. factors in your environment that can lead to you being unable to engage in meaningful activity. So in regards Mm -hmm. to the refugee crisis, um, their inability to Participate in their meaningful roles. So, previously, you know, some of the refugees that we've met here, my husband Steve, he had, he used to work with a man who was a doctor, let's say in Syria, and then came and had to retrain as like a woodworker or something like that. So, for him, his meaning, he would love to re engage in his profession, but there are barriers like language, uh, you know, visa status that all. So Mm. So, in my current job, I'm not sure if uh, we'll talk about it more later, but in my current job, I work with families more, rather than individuals. So anytime we have a child who has uh, identified delay in their development, they come to us and we identify whether we can support them with early we call it early intervention. So children from zero to seven, it's the most important period in a child's life. So we want to make mm-hmm. sure that we're providing as much supports, But- often like therapists you know you view it and you're like okay the child has delays they can't speak how can i use strategies to help them speak mm-hmm. but sometimes i a lot of the time i notice that it's not just that actually like the family doesn't know how to enroll their child to kinder they don't know how to you know access a play group so there's so many factors and a lot of the families that we have in our the area that i live in are from refugee backgrounds or arabic speaking backgrounds migrant communities um, so it's not so much just helping them with the actual issue that the child has Mm -hmm. it's more supporting the family as a whole and that's kind of how i got involved in Mm -hmm. so you actually
1: um have because it it makes sense right so it's not just about um supporting the child but also supporting the family to be able to create an environment that supports the child so you engage actually in the with the parents with the siblings and yeah help with that yeah Yeah, because at the
0: end At the end, I think the most important is that the uh, family learns to support the child, right? Because you will be gone at some point and the family is the one who is with the child the whole time.
2: Mm -hmm. 100%! You could totally be an OT. That's that's kind of what we're advocating for. It's (laughs) that, you know, parents are the first teachers of their child and it's so relevant now that we're in covid you know where parents are actually having to be the teach actual teachers because they're homeschooling for their children
1: oh yeah and it's
2: creating such a challenge and shift in mindset
1: maybe you have some suggestions like for people who you know aren't really you know related to this like doing anything specifically around this topic like do you think there are ways that people can get involved um, or help out
2: Hmm. that's a good question um i think The main thing is just learn about the stories, I think. I think that's a good first step because it's so overwhelming to hear the news and the news isn't really a story. It's just, you know, and you can get desensitized to all of that because it always looks like there's war. I always hear about, you know, people dying on the boats coming over from, you know, it's just really overwhelming. I think if you uh, read about it, watch some shows about it and listen to people's actual stories, and that's a good way. To um, contribute to the cause um, and learn more about the cause, I guess. Yeah, Um, yeah. and in terms of helping out uh, here in Australia, there's like really amazing like community efforts. Like one of them is there's a place near us called Second Stitch, and it's actually a like vocational training for refugee women, and it teaches them to like sew and uh, what do you call it? Like, it's like tailoring, like teaching. How to say. So I actually go there for my, any repairs, like clothing alterations and repairs. Mm, that's cool. Provides yeah. them with a livelihood plus it's, some, they're so lovely there. So there are like, i say smaller community organizations in your communities that maybe you can research about where they're trying to provide um, access to livelihoods for refugee people who are trying to Settle or integrate into the community because it's a good way. There's actually the asylum seeker resource center here does also like I don't know if it was only due to COVID, but they were doing a catering service where they would cater and do cookbooks like for the their traditional meals. So food, I think that's why your podcast is so good. Food always brings people together. (laughs) So it's like you can try like a Syrian feast and you know learn more about their culture and then their experiences through that way.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I know that makes sense and you're right about just like looking in our own communities because I think it's probably more personal that way as well when you kind of find out what you can do in your specific community I think it's
2: it's really (coughs) empowerment isn't it because they you know often I feel like with advocacies or charities people are always like oh you know I want it's that you know that complex if I want to save them or I want but it's I think it's shifting the perspective that we actually want them to have their quality of life and their dignity yeah. back. So I think efforts to support them to reintegrate and show you know art. There's so many there's so many refugees that are exhibiting their art all around Europe, like there's so many different things that you can do
0: yeah. apart from just exactly. donating.
2: Yeah. Sorry,
0: and so you don't need to help like many people. You you can just help what you can with your time. Mm. And at the end that's enough because if everybody helps a little bit at the end there is the great great contribution there if you do something and everybody does something
1: yeah yeah
2: definitely
0: so if you want to help someone go for it find what you want to do to help someone and support them go 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 go. (laughs) (laughs) let's
1: uh, let's talk a little bit about your story right yeah,
0: <laughs> your story. My
2: story. So, so Raina
1: mentioned a little bit already at the beginning that uh, she grew up <clears throat> in the Philippines and we that's how we became friends. And then you've mm. lived in Vietnam as well. And now she's living in Australia, in Melbourne, but I think also in some other areas of Australia before that. So maybe you can tell us about what drove those moves um, and what brought you there now.
2: <laughs> Impulsivity. <laughs> That's That's no, um, uh, yeah interesting so um yeah I lived in the Philippines all my life really and then when I was how old would I have been at that time 25 was when I moved to Vietnam moving to Vietnam was like just really random I have to say like I um, was given the opportunity to support a child with autism um, and who I had worked with in the Philippines. Uh, it's a lovely, lovely family They're So like, they're just super great advocates for their child. And they were moving to Vietnam and they told me that um, they didn't have any services there. So they're, they were like, we're moving to Vietnam. We don't have any therapists. Uh, do you want to come? At first I said, I don't wanna come if it's just for one child, because that's just like, it'll be really challenging. But they actually found a center over there that, um, did a little bit of work with, uh, they weren't occupational, it wasn't an occupational therapy center, but they were like a multidisciplinary center. And so they said, we don't have an occupational therapist, so we're happy to hire you. So I was like, okay. Mm. I had never been wow. to Vietnam before that. So I just like packed my bags. My parents helped me find a, a rental apartment, move there. And that was that, I was there for three years. Um, have you been to Vietnam? Have either of you been to Vietnam?
1: Yeah.
2: Anna J. Anna Jay has.
1: Yeah. But I think not when you were there. So before. Yeah.
2: Not when I was there. Oh, yeah. I'd love to go back. So basically, that was the first time I learned how to ride a bike and a motorbike. It was such an amazing experience. Um, I met Steve there, who's my husband. I met him on my first weekend there, which was like random because it's such a small community. So we all kind of knew each other. Um, and but I was the only OT in the whole of Vietnam, so like it was just really overwhelming. Um, I was working like I would do trips to like Hanoi, which is in the north, and then Ho Chi Minh Saigon, which is in the south. Like just going back and forth, doing training for like parents of children with autism. Um, and then I realized after a while, I was like, I think I need more professional development. Like <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. be like at the top of the food chain at 25, like that's just not appropriate. I had so much more to learn. Um, so I was like, okay, what will we do next? And luckily I was contacted by an Australian university um, because they send, uh, so they have interns. Uh, so basically our, our OT program is like four years. So at the fourth year, you had to do a placement, an internship. Mm -hmm. And uh, that Australian University um, sends their students to Vietnam, uh, a hospital in Vietnam, public hospital in Vietnam, as their last placement for the year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they said, oh, we would really like, uh, rather than sending our own supervisor from Australia to Vietnam, who doesn't know much about, you know, the Vietnamese population is there a Vietnamese uh, not a Vietnamese OT but some an OT who's in based in Vietnam so Mm -hmm. I put my hand up and I did that for two years so I was supervising Mm -hmm. students Australian students and that kind of made me realize what the practices were in Australia as well Mm -hmm. Um, made me learn a little bit more about the professional development there Um, so after that we kind of just I don't know how we ended up in Melbourne, honestly. I still asked Steve, I was like, why did we choose Melbourne? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> just kind of bought the ticket. So I was like, okay, so we yeah, so we moved here in July 2016. Freezing cold. Did not expect that. It's like uh. Melbourne's in the south. Um, and it was like single digits, and we had just come from Vietnam. Like it was not <laughs> No, it's like, I thought Australia was supposed to be like beaches and <laughs> sunny and then it was supposed to be really nice but it, it it did become nice one spring like that was literally we couldn't have arrived in like the, like the one week that it was horrible <laughs> so that was our first impression of Australia and then um, when did you move to um, Germany Anna we...
1: I moved to Australia in Austria. 2014 and yeah. then 16 okay. to Germany.
2: Yeah, oh, so 16 to Germany. Okay, so we were, we've been here kind of the same amount yeah. of time. Is it five years?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow, I can't believe I've been in Austria
0: well, for five years. What you just said kind of uh, reminds me of when I came to Germany, because I came to Germany also on a 4th of January, which can be oh. a worst time to come here because January, February is like extremely cold. So I came here on the 4th of uh, January, there was snow everywhere, minus temperatures, and Mm. I almost didn't see the sun for three months. So this was my start in Germany. It was like, wow. And you are right. Afterwards, it gets better because, well, it cannot get worse, right?
1: (laughs) Okay, so I was lucky. I moved in autumn, so in fall. Oh, no.
0: Next one, but... So I have... A nephew, which is actually planning to move to uh, oh, yeah. Australia in in a couple of years. Oh, yeah. So Yeah. But in general, what would you say to anyone who is planning to move to Australia in the next couple of years? What would you say to them?
2: Like when you come to Australia, I think it's so well, I'm just this is just a personal advocacy, I guess, of myself. It's like really learning the history because. I never knew a single thing about Australia and its culture and its history before I moved here. The Aboriginal community is like the longest um, continuous culture. So they are like such a rich culture, and they were basically decimated when um the Europeans came over. Oh, the-, mm-hmm. the British came over
1: and I think that kind of um, Australian history also, people outside of australia aren't aware about or don't know yeah so about. they only
2: know about tim tams and koalas and kangaroos yeah know. but uh <laughs> it's so like they they were saying there's like over 200 languages just in australia 200 different aboriginal languages wow. um being spoken and yeah that's like a seventy thousand year old culture um Coming away with the mindset that it's uh, there's a lot of things that we need to learn more about the culture mm,
1: That's cool. I hope the people who are listening also picked up um, a few tips on how you guys can support the causes that Raina talked about or just be active in the communities that you guys live in. So, thank you so much, Raina.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks a lot. It was Thanks great to have so you
1: And thank you, Karma, even if you're just sleeping. Bye-bye,
0: Karma. (laughs) Thank you for joining us at Merienda Stories.
1: Tune in next time for more stories. Real people having real conversations about real life.
0: Over a nice merienda. Gracias.
1: Loving salamat.